0: Hey, buddy, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me, I'm doing pretty well. It's a beautiful winter evening here in Portland, Oregon. Got some fat snowflakes falling from the sky. At least I think it's snow. I haven't actually been outside and tasted it yet, so... I suppose there does still exist the possibility that it is, in fact, shreds of Parmesan cheese that are being grated on top of us by Galactus's herald, who has been sent ahead to make the planet tastier. All things considered, there are worse ways for the planet to go, I suppose. If we are to be devoured by Galactus, I'd rather he coat us with Parmesan cheese, because A... Free Parmesan for a few days. Not too shabby. Two, it'd be harder to stay mad at the guy if he's eating a planet that's covered with Parmesan cheese because, I mean, at that point, how could he not eat the planet? It's covered in Parmesan cheese. And that way I'm, you know, not going out with a lot of negative emotions. But mostly, I hope that if Galactus eats the Earth, he first sends the Silver Surfer or Fire Lord or Aunt May or whoever his herald is, ahead to great Parmesan cheese all over the whole planet because I like to picture Galactus hanging out with the Grandmaster, the Inbetweener, or Uatu, or whoever, and having them be like, I just never knew you were Cosmic Italian. Is it on your space mom's side? I I mean, with the name Galactus, and having him go like, well, it was Galactabucci, but... My grandparents changed it at Cosmic Ellis Island because... I don't know, I guess they thought my parents might have an easier time growing up with a name like Galactus. I'd change it back, but now with the extended family it would be a whole thing and... Look, I don't need to justify myself to you people. Oh my gosh, Fire Lord, have you been grating cheese this whole time? It's been what, two weeks? Hey man, I told you to say when. And I didn't hear you say when yet. I remember how pissed off you got when you said I didn't put enough fresh ground pepper on Arrakis. I know, it's just, that's a lot of cheese. I guess I could just take a space Zantac before I eat and... Are you still grating? Oh, for crying out, when, Fire Lord, when? Anyway, my point is, I'm pretty sure that's snow out there. But a boy can dream. Tell you what. We got a comic book to talk about, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Poem is submitted by Cecilia Hudson. A team or not a team? That is the question. Whether to share a sanctum in Greenwich and come together as comrades in battle matters in the face of extreme dislike, or Hulk's constant quitting, or love of beans? Tune in to Hub and Coy. perhaps you'll learn, whether through minutiae or synopsis. Thanks, Cecilia. Defenders, number 46, April, 1977. Who remembers Scorpio? Written by Roger Silfer and David Anthony Kraft, drotted by Keith Giffen. Inked by Klaus Janssen. Lettered by Irv Watanabe. Colored by David Hunt and edited by Archie Goodwin. Defensive Lineup Doctor Strange Luke Cage The Red Guardian Valkyrie Nighthawk The Incredible Hulk and Hellcat. Previously in the Defenders After sneaking a peek at a magic ruby, Dr. Strange was transformed into The Red Raja, a well-intentioned, misogynistic, nigh-omnipotent creep who used his powers to manipulate the minds of those around him in order to make the world as he saw it a better place. He also started wearing a turban and quoting Rush lyrics, which was likely the only reason the other defenders noticed a difference. To combat this condescending crimson calamity, our titular non-team enlisted the aid of the charismatic cat-costumed crime fighter Hellcat, a.k.a. Patsy Walker. With Patsy's assistance, our heroes were able to restore Steve to his marginally less patronizing previous persona. Meanwhile, matrimonially-minded meathead Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body is the host for the sorcerously created being Valkyrie, was being chased by mysterious, unidentified pursuers from his past. After the furtive followers blew up his car with energy beams, a frightened Norris was forced to flee from the freeway on foot. Back at the Sanctum Sanctimonious, our protagonist was celebrating the fact that Doctor Strange was no longer trying to destroy them when Steve said something that might just threaten the non-team's existence after all. He was quitting the Defenders. God, Zooks! How long will the Defenders maintain a roster of just six members? Who could possibly be advanced enough to possess energy weapons, but short-sighted enough to want anything to do with Jack Norris? And now that Steve is done quoting Rush lyrics, what 70s rock band will be the next to inspire a Defender storyline? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so about a page and a half, apparently Nick Fury, and the Blue Oyster Cult. But that's not until a few issues from now. Everyone is stunned that Steve has just announced his resignation, but the smug sorcerer explains that he got a little depowered recently and needs a little extra time to do mystical push-ups or whatever. Then he goes on to say, Also, I'm just really great at everything, and I'm worried that because I'm so wonderful, you guys won't get to do anything if I'm around. You know, because I'm so great. In an uncharacteristic display of diplomacy, Kyle does not bring up the fact that in the previous issue, the rest of the team beat Steve up after a magic rock took over his brain. Instead, the billionaire do bird enthusiast petulantly expresses hurt disbelief and then wishes his former non-teammate well in his future endeavors. Then Luke is like, Oh yeah, that reminds me. Remember a couple of issues ago when I said I didn't like being on a team? Well, still don't. I quit too. Kyle petulantly expresses hurt disbelief and then wishes his former non-teammate well in his future endeavors. Red Guardian pipes up and says, I am remembering, too, that I received a phone call from stranger threatening my family if I am not returning to USSR. Also, I really should get back to capturing moose and squirrel. So, I am quitting, too. Kyle petulantly expresses hurt disbelief and then wishes his former non-teammate well in her future endeavors. Val, Hellcat, and the Hulk all tell Kyle they have their reservations, but they intend to stick together as a non-team. Hooray! Also, the Hulk threatens to smash Kyle if he doesn't stop being a whiny dick. Hooray! Steve tells the gang, Yes, yes, well, it certainly has been interesting hanging out with you guys for the past several years, but these nasty little flame ghosts aren't going to watch themselves do filthy things to each other, so get out of my house, please. So speaks, Doctor Strange. For a second, the defenders wonder where they're going to hang out now, but fortunately, Kyle remembers that he impulse-bought a riding academy on Long Island a few years ago when he was trying to hit on Val. Oh yeah, that was right before he spent a billion and a half dollars buying the Hulk an adamantium chair that he never asked for or used. Man, how the fuck does that guy still have a business? The crew says goodbyes to their departing cohort, then head off to their new headquarters. I'm a little curious as to what happened to all the horses that presumably used to live at the riding academy, but after seeing the treatment equines have been getting lately in the pages of this title, I'm a little afraid to ask. Meanwhile, in Hackensack, New Jersey, Jack Norris is hiding behind a dumpster at an oil refinery. The canubially confused creep congratulates himself on eluding his stalkers. Then he gets shot in the head by a laser blast. Hooray! His assailant steps out from the shadows and reveals himself to be... Nick Fury, the Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Dun, dun, dun! Okay, it would have been a more dramatic reveal if I hadn't spoiled it earlier in the answer to the questions I posed at the end of the Previously in the Defenders bit, but still. Dun, dun, dun! The gang arrives at their new, more bucolic base of operations, and are initially impressed with the privacy that it affords them. Once they head inside, however, they are startled to see that their headquarters is apparently a little less private than they had hoped, for standing in the middle of their conference room is a stranger wearing a conspicuous red outfit. Is it Daredevil? No, he's hardly a stranger to this group. Santa Claus? No, Kyle owns this property, and a lifetime of thrill-seeking burglaries would hardly put him on the nice list. Satan? No, if it was him, I would have said their friend's dad. No, this red-suited stranger is none other than... Scorpio! Oh no! Also, who? Scorpio is a dude in a red body stocking that has a device called the Zodiac Key, which looks like an bee with a ruler and half a protractor taped to it, but is apparently cosmic, so it can do pretty much whatever. Well, apparently pretty much whatever, except for informing its owner about one of the worst-kept secret identities in the Marvel Universe, because Scorpio starts bellowing at Nighthawk that he demands to know the whereabouts of Kyle Richmond. Rather than instantly tearing off his mask and yelling, Hey, that's me! the way you might expect given his track record, the affluent avian aficionado instead leads the recently reduced roster of defenders in an attack on the astrology-themed home intruder. The astrology-obsessed uninvited houseguest holds his own for a bit, using his magic bee to toss Hellcat into a diving Nighthawk, and then makes some machinery come alive and attack the Hulk, but soon, the tables turn, and while Val distracts Scorpio, Kyle hits him with a lead pipe, and Patsy steals his magical nonsense weapon. Hooray! When the Hulk frees himself from his technological entanglements, the Vermilion villain decides that maybe this wasn't such a good time to stop by after all. The scorpion-themed Scarlet Scumbag triggers his Zodiac Key from afar and uses it to turn himself into water, which he says is a thing he can do on account of the fact that Scorpio is a water sign. Sure. Whatever. The soggy supervillain reclaims his cosmic doodad and teleports away, declaring menacingly that he'll be back to confront Kyle when the Defenders aren't around to, well, defend him. Huh. I always thought of making empty threats while running away as more of a Libra thing. Wait, am am I a Libra? No. I was born in early April, which I think makes me, uh, Samantha. But my rising moon is Hufflepuff, so I sometimes act more like a Raphael. Because I'm cool but rude. Libras are more party dudes. Unless they have a Miranda rising, in which case, they also do machines. Then we get an epilogue. A paperboy tosses yet another unread periodical onto the stack of newspapers that has been accumulating on the doorstep of Kyle Richmond's only recently re-inhabited writing academy. The boy thinks to himself that it's weird that Richmond bothers having a subscription delivered to an address that he never visits. Jeez. If you think that's wasteful, I hope you never see the dude's budget for furniture made out of rare fictional metals. As the kid heads home, a sinister, diminutive figure emerges from the bushes. Oh, shit. Yup, it's that elf with a gun that's been popping up out of nowhere every couple of issues and murdering random strangers for no apparent reason. The murderous mythical miscreant aims his weapon at the unsuspecting paperboy. And then a moving van comes out of nowhere and runs the elf over. Hooray! And joining us once again through the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother Cory for another episode of Where in the World is My Good-for-Many-things Brother Cory? ego brained listeners will remember that <laughs> last week... Cory bought some shish tawook using some drachma in the shadow of a famous opera house. Cory, give our listeners some clues as to where in the world you might be this week.
1: Uh, cactus juice.
0: Okay, cactus juice. Now remember, if you are able to find my brother Cory, he will have to grant you three wishes. So, using the clue cactus juice, where in the world is my good-for-many-things brother? Indeed. Hmm. Indeed. Well, are you having a nice time in this place where you can have some cactus juice? I am. I am
1: having a nice time. There is often a blue sky and uh, some warm weather, Um, so that's nice. Okay, it sounds like, given the blue sky, you
0: are probably in the same dimension as us. And I think that's all the clues we're going to give our listeners, because, hey, let's face it, you're not made out of wishes. No, sir, I am
1: not. What did you think of this week's comic book? Well, let's see. So we like to give Doctor Strange a hard time for, you know, being Doctor Strange. But when he's not there to give a hard time, too, I find myself missing his presence in the issue. And so basically this one starts with him being like, hey, guys, uh, take off. And then we don't hear from him for the rest of the story. So that was kind of a bummer.
0: Yeah, there are some big doings happening in the Defenders. I gotta say, like you, I enjoy Steve's presence in the book, but I really enjoyed this read. I think partly it was nice to have a regular-sized issue where things happened and a storyline was forwarded. I know that seems like a relatively low bar to clear, but it was refreshing and I dug it. A lot of fun stuff happened, and there's, uh, there's a lot to cover. Before we get into that, I'd like to pause for a brief word from our sponsors, us. A couple of weeks ago, a listener asked if we could record a brief promo for the podcast that they could play on their podcast, the Treasury Cast, and we of course agreed. I don't know, you seemed a little bit out of it during the recording session, Corey. Do you remember recording this promo? I haven't the foggiest. No. Oh, geez. Well, um, I'm just going to play it for you. So uh, let's hear that. (laughs) Okay. Hi, everybody. My name's Hub, and I host a show called Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Every week. We read either a Defenders comic book from the 70s or a New Teen Titans comic from the 80s. I give a synopsis of that comic that I have handcrafted to amuse and inform. And then my good-for-many-things brother Cory comes over and we talk about what we found interesting about the comic we just read. It's a lot of fun, and we hope you'll join us for it. Anything you'd like to add, Cory? I like cocaine from an animal's butthole.
1: Mm. It is. So good. It is.
0: Paradise. Well, Corey, I don't really think that's appropriate. We're trying to do a promotion for our podcast here. Shut up. Okay, fair enough. Any final thoughts? Of course. Well, let's hear them. I have eaten all the beaver butt. (laughs) You have eaten none.
1: (laughs) And beaver's butt is
0: pretty good. There you have it. Tighten up the defense. That's T-I-T-A-N. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. It's probably worth mentioning. I'm the one who does the editing. Catch the wave of the future and hang 10 on it with us, Cowabunga.
1: Oh my goodness. Um, yeah,
0: you were feeling a little punchy during that recording session. Uh, how do you feel about how things turned out? I
1: Well, they sound funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, How long did that take you? Oh, not <laughs> that long. It seems... <laughs> a labor of love i'm sure oh my god okay that's good that'll i'm sure that'll attract some fine fine listeners to the show so
0: let's get into this comic book as you say, it starts off with Steve quitting the team, and he's not alone. Luke quits the team too, which he had alluded to in a previous issue, and the Red Guardian is also quitting the team, which had been hinted
1: at previously. Big changes. Big changes, yes. I gotta say, though, if, if we can just jump all the way to the epilogue. Sure. Sure. What the hell, man? Like, I feel like I've been waiting for this whole arc for some sort of explanation about the elf with the gun. And I don't know, it seems like he's just dead. I hope so. I honestly, I think we do get a
0: follow-through story later. I liked this ending, although the artwork did really confuse me with it. It seemed as though the art was a little bit at odds with the captioning and the story, because my initial reaction was, oh, fuck, did Elf with a Gun just shoot a little kid? It seemed like he shot the paper boy. And then I had to read it a couple of times before I got, oh, I think he got run over by a truck. But also there was a little like magic sparkle happening around his abandoned hat. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, or did he just teleport away after he shot a kid?
1: It was super confusing. And I don't particularly want him to be alive either. But I would also like to know just what is his deal? Yeah,
0: I think if they had ended it with just, and we never find out because he got run over by a truck, I don't know what Gerber's plan was for Elf with a Gun. And there's something that I kind of respected about the writers of this issue's kind of admission that they don't know what was going on with it either, and they're just not going to touch it. So, Elf with a Gun, that's what you got for it. Although, yeah, I agree. It is an unsatisfying end for the work that we've put in with that little elf with a gun. Yeah, we've put up with a lot. We have, but I am relieved that we did not have to put up with him shooting a paper boy. Probably. We don't actually know what happened with the paper boy. We get the one panel that is just an exclamation point in an explosion graphic, and I think we are to assume that that is the impact of the truck hitting the elf. But. It could be that he, you know, shot the kid as the truck was running him over. So, tough could to be. tell.
1: Could be. Yep. Very confusing.
0: Indeed. But, yeah, as I said, the, uh, the elf with a gun is not the only character we say goodbye to. Uh, going from the end of the book to the very beginning, we get the following captions. We dwell in an age of change, a world in which few things can be considered stable, least of all the lineup of the Defenders a publicly unknown superhero alliance that exists only informally at best. Yet Dr. Stephen Strange, master of the mystic arts, has always remained a deceptively stable element of the non-team. He has been their leader and the bulwark of their strength. Until now, that is, for he has just resigned. And then Kyle freaks the fuck out. What I would like to pose to you is the following question. Is that caption work, or was that Steve talking?
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it does kind of sound like he wrote wrote it for himself.
0: I think he may have, and I like to think that that, because we do get the immediate reaction of Kyle as though he is reacting to those words. So I like to think that that is Steve just going, He has been the bulwark of their strength. Until now, that is, for he has just resigned. Uh, Kyle, you look upset about something. Is it about the fact that I'm talking in the third person?
1: <laughs> yeah, boy, Kyle really does lose his mind when a uh, team starts yeah. to come apart. He flips the fuck out, but he does it in such a repetitive way.
0: It It is kind of weird. My initial note was, man, Kyle is going on an emotional roller coaster. And then I crossed that out and wrote in, merry-go-round question mark ferris wheel because it's like the same trip each time because he's like steve you can't be resigning what the fuck man and then steve explains why he's resigning and he's like okay that makes sense okay okay and then luke cage is like i'm quitting too and kyle's like what the fuck how could you be quitting and he's like look i told you i wanted to quit i'm a loner and he's like oh, okay okay you're a good man you're a good man oh 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 okay luke And then Red Guardian's like, I'm quitting the team too. And he's like, what the fuck? And she's like, look, I told you, stop throwing a goddamn tantrum, Kyle. He's like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was good hanging out with you. And then it's just this weird cycle that he goes through.
1: It's like that stupid ride with the
0: teacups. I think the teacup ride is more exciting. Than Kyle's emotional roller coaster? Yeah, although I guess they do both make me want to throw up.
1: Bad job, Kyle. Indeed. (laughs) Find a better ride, man.
0: And honestly, team, find a better Kyle, because the next thing that happens is Kyle having an inner monologue where he talks about how now the burden of leadership has fallen on him. Why? Is it just because you're the only white guy left in the room that you're like, well, now I have to be the leader? Val's been on the team longer. She's better liked and more emotionally stable and less prone to getting kidnapped or having her brain removed. I think Val is the obvious choice of team leader.
1: Definitely a superior choice to Kyle. But yeah, he just sort of assumes. Typical. Yeah, typical Kyle. He does say a funny thing, um, where is it, page five, where he makes a little Howard the Duck crack.
0: Yeah, and that is a pretty timely Howard the Duck crack because this issue comes out right before the Howard the Duck and the Defenders Treasury Size edition. So I think that's a little bit of foreshadowing there.
1: Ah, yeah, it really fits the bill. Oh. oh
0: sorry no you're not that's the rum talking <laughs> Corey, duck puns are just not funny they are the lowest common denominator and i would like to remind you to check out me and lisa's podcast what the duck a podcast most foul but with a w because he's a duck that's the full name of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i don't have a webbed foot to stand on with this one
1: no not gonna ruffle any feathers
0: oh you're getting me down one of the other interesting and fairly momentous things that we find out that happens in this book is Jack Norris has been being pursued by unknown agents for the last few issues. And now we at least apparently find out who that was as Jack Norris gets shot with a ray gun by Nick Fury.
1: Yeah, what's up with that? I'd, I mean, I can understand wanting to shoot uh, Norris also. But Yeah, he's a real piece of shit. I don't see the, uh, the connection.
0: I'm not sure what it is either. It's surprising to me that Nick Fury and Jack Norris have crossed paths before. Because what we know about the people who are chasing Jack is that he recognizes them and tells them that, no, I have put all that behind me. And then he just books it. So he has a secret past with Nick Fury?
1: Yeah, or he was in cahoots with the guys that were chasing him, and those guys are somehow enemies of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know.
0: Yeah, Maybe. I mean, you don't think Jack Norris worked for S.H.I.E.L.D., do you?
1: <laughs> if he did, Nick Fury's got to get a new <laughs> HR person or whoever does the hiring, because, man, he is yeah. not, not good at fighting crime.
0: No, I can't believe that his little escapade where he tried to infiltrate that political organization would have looked particularly good on his resume uh, if he's applying for super spy jobs. No, no um, he
1: did a terrible job.
0: He did so bad, but he does say that the defenders are the ones that are responsible for getting him into the mess that he's in. That could just be typical Jack Norris deflection where he, you know, blames everybody else for his problems. It was gratifying that he didn't get the chance to yell, where's my wife? Before Mm. Nick Fury shot him in the face. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the back of the face. So the back of the head, I guess.
1: It's hard to say. uh, He might've gotten shot in the front of the head because his forehead is like smoking in the next um, panel. Yeah, it is. a whatever ray gun he shot him with has some
0: really confusing effects. Vapor is coming off of his forehead. So maybe he got shot with a like, lobotomization ray or something. Ah. We had talked before about S.H.I.E.L.D. having potentially poor hiring practices, and I think that might just be the case regardless, because when you think about it, Nick Fury is a weird choice for a guy to run a secret spy organization.
1: Do you know much about Nick Fury's history? Not other than really what we talked about on the show in the past, so no, there's gaps.
0: Yeah, he started off As in a World War II comic called Sergeant Fury and his Howlin' Commandos. So during World War II, he was an army sergeant who led a group of Howlin' Commandos who were like rough and tumble. And his whole thing was that he was like a gruff, no-nonsense, straight shooter, tough sergeant. That seems like it would make him almost uniquely unqualified to run an international spy agency. Mm. Like, yeah, you know, plain spoken, gruff, Undiplomatic, but he'll always tell you the truth and you'll know where you stand with him. Mm. That's not the guy you want running your spy shop.
1: No, no, that doesn't sound very spy-like.
0: Yeah, I think they added layers to his character later, but it always did seem like a really weird transition. And it wasn't like it came after years where they were repurposing the character. He debuted with Sergeant Fury and the Howland Commandos in 63, and then... They made him a contemporary character with the rest of the Marvel universe in '65. While well, his War comic was continuing to run, that was just set in the past. It seems like a really weird move on their part.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's just uh, liked his eye patch.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty good eye patch. I'll, I'll give him that. It is possible that it was just like a sartorial decision on their part. That it's largely a figurehead position, and he's just like running around spinning his wheels while other people are secretly running everything. Yeah, it could be. He was just chosen for his appearance to be the head. He's like, yeah, he's got those uh, dignified white patches on his temples, and he's got an eye patch. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, I really want those uh, little white patches to come in on the side of my temples. Every it, time I get a gray hair there, I, I'm like, oh, is the, the little dignity village on the side of my head coming in? <laughs> that, that's what I call it. Maybe someday.
1: Oh, you'll get there. You'll get there, my friend.
0: Yeah, but it has to be in the right order. I just want that part to turn white, not the rest. Do you think it would speed things up if I started smoking a
1: pipe? Um, Nope, but you could get a, a stressful job.
0: Oh, I've got one of those.
1: Oh. Maybe I'll start caring more. Yeah,
0: there you <laughs> go. That's the ticket. In addition to Nick Fury, we... Meet another character who is not new to the Marvel Universe, but is new to this Defenders title, and that is Scorpio. Were you familiar with Scorpio at all? No, not at all, and um, he seemed pretty fun. Yeah, he is a weird character. It's not coincidental that he shows up in the same book as Nick Fury, as he is Nick Fury's brother. What? Yeah, I'm pretty sure his name is Jake Fury, and... They have a weird relationship where they kind of freaky-fry to each other sometimes. Like, Nick Fury will dress up like his brother to infiltrate criminal organizations, and his brother will sometimes dress up like Nick Fury and try to infiltrate S.H.I.E.L.D. It's weird. And also, he has died a couple of times, but he keeps getting better. Part of how he keeps getting better is that weird Zodiac key that he has. Mm -hmm. The Zodiac Key is apparently a sentient object from another dimension that has weird and kind of nebulously defined cosmic powers that relate somehow to the Zodiac. It's from a place called the Ankh dimension. And one time after he died, it made him come back to life, but in the body of a life model decoy, which is a thing that S.H.I.E.L.D. has, which is like a robot man that looks like you that... You use as a decoy, which I think is maybe the body he's in right now, but I'm not entirely sure. The other interesting thing about Scorpio is that he belongs to an organization called the Zodiac, and they are bonkers as hell and one of the most 70s things ever. It was a 12-member organization, each member of which was named after a different astrological sign. And they had a rotating leadership where whatever... Sign was Ascendant at the time, would be the leader of the team for that month. So like in April, Ares would be the team leader, and then they would rotate through as to who was leading the team. They were weird and a lot of fun, and they fought the Avengers a bunch of times. My favorite thing that they did was they pulled a scheme that I call the Reverse Fish That Saved Pittsburgh... The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, of course, is the greatest basketball movie of all time in which there is a team called the Pittsburgh Pythons. And they are terrible despite the fact that they have the best player in the league, Dr. J, who plays a character named Moses Guthrie. They keep losing. And the reason is an astrologer tells them they're not astrologically compatible. So they fire everybody on the team who is not a Pisces which is Dr. J's astrological sign, Hmm. and then recruit a new team that is a ragtag band of misfits, but that are all Pisces. And they come together and play basketball and, spoiler alert, get to the championship game.
1: What? What happens
0: in that championship game? Well, you'll have to watch the movie to find out. But, Zodiac's plan is, as I said, a reverse fish that saved Pittsburgh in that they want to kill every Gemini in Manhattan except for the one Gemini on their evil team. What? Yeah. Why? Ah, turns out they're evil dicks. I don't know. It was a weird flex that they were doing. You know how, like, supervillains will do that? I'm going to destroy one city to show that I'm serious. Fuck Mm. you, Des Moines. You know, that Mm -hmm, that kind mm -hmm. of move. But their plan got foiled because it was one of the times when Nick Fury was dressing up like Scorpio to infiltrate a criminal organization. But yeah, that's who the Zodiac is. And I think we're going to see more of them in the future. I hope so. Looking forward to that. We do see that like his Zodiac powers, he talks about how his astrological chart said that he was going to encounter Kyle Richmond and confront him and then he was disappointed to be fighting Nighthawk Mm -hmm. which does kind of seem like maybe Scorpio is an idiot like if he believes in the astrology that much and he's like oh my chart said that I would be meeting this one specific individual but instead at the exact place where I was supposed to meet him is a guy I've never seen before who's wearing a mask well this is bullshit it's like
1: Maybe do a little extra math there, buddy. Astrological math?
0: Oh, yeah. The realest
1: math there is. Or, or. Or? Maybe, maybe astrology is is not real. What? I mean, I know this was the 70s, so it was pretty, it was pretty real then. So
0: you're, you're saying that astrology is maybe not a hard science, but is more of a soft science, like sociology or hugging.
1: Yeah. Have we talked about, about that before? About somebody did a study where they're trying to figure out if what sign you were had any impact on things. No. So it turns out that it does, but the reason it does is because, and depending on what country you're at and when the school season starts, if you were born in a part of the year where you start your school career as an as a older, bigger kid than the other kids in oh. your same class all those kids basically go on to be more confident and make more money and, and all these other things like Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah, because they're slightly more physically and emotionally mature than the other kids. So it is due to when they are born, but it has nothing to do with their sign. So what you're saying is it's really more about what your
0: moon sign ascending is than your traditional sun sign. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so okay, I would be with you on perhaps uh, astrology being... As I said, more of a soft science, more of an art than a science, perhaps, except Scorpio does use it to change into water because Scorpio is a water sign. And mm. that is the explanation of why he is able to do that. So I don't know, Corey, seems like there's something there. Corey, what's your astrological
1: sign? I am a cancer, a water sign also. But I can't well, turn That's into your problem, water. Corey.
0: Cancers hmm. don't believe in astrology.
1: How about that? Oh. Yeah,
0: I'm a fire sign. That's why we make such a volatile combination. I think I'm a fire sign. Is Ares a fire sign? Uh, Probably. Goats make fire, I think. I am, I am, I am the ram. I was
1: wondering how long it was going to take for Harvey Sid Fisher to, <laughs> to pop up here on this oh, podcast. Oh, there is
0: no way that I am not using the Scorpio Harvey Sid Fisher song as the outro music. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Good. Other than his interesting background and pretty neat outfit, not entirely impressed with Scorpio. You're not impressed with Scorpio? Nah, I mean, he does the bad math on not being able to figure out who Kyle is. And he has the same tendency that really bothered me in Red Raja, where he refers to Val and Hellcat as females. There's something about that where it just always comes off as such a dick move. Mhm.
1: The one thing that I was amused by is his kind of self-editorializing that he does where at one point he's just like this isn't going at all how I had hoped, at which point Val is kind of kicking his butt. Yeah, that is true. I am disappointed he has neither claws nor a stinging tail. Well, he does have that
0: whip that is shaped like a tail that he uses as a tail.
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: And I think it's implied that he is terrified of Orion shooting him with that damn bow.
1: Oh, is that how that works? Orion shoots Scorpio. I think so. You I know, think that's...
0: that's what Orion was hunting. He must
1: be an excellent marksman because it's to oh, be... Oh, a...
0: it's... No, Scorpio's pretty big. Oh. I think he's like a scorpion monster. Um, oh, okay. I'm a little hazy on my Greek mythology. The pieces that I remember are Orion's trying to hunt Scorpio as part of some weird stalker shit he's doing with Artemis. I don't really know. I read a lot of Dolaire's book of Greek mythology when I was a kid, and I got super into that, and I read the Edith Hamilton shit, and uh, don't remember the details at all. It'll come back. I mean... Do you mean the ancient Greek gods will rise again? No. Oh just... well, that's a relief. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, no. That'd be okay, because I got to tell you, those guys were assholes. It seemed like a lot of them were. I, can you find Scorpio and this guy? I can never find. I can find Orion and like the uh,
0: Dippers, but that's it. That's pretty much where I'm at. I can always get Orion. I can get the Dippers, and that's it. That's yeah. all I got. That's mm. still pretty good. Yeah, two out
1: of some.
0: How many? Uh, how many constellations are there? Like seven.
1: Well, Eight? there's a, there's one for each zodiac, right? Oh, geez. Plus Orion. Yeah.
0: So, okay. So there's 13 constellations total. We've got three of them. Because I'm assuming big and little dippers are zodiac signs, right? I don't know. I think if if you're born in August, then you're a little dipper. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a a New England insult. You're a little dipper. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're born in February... Then you're a big dipper, yeah, because you start the school year earlier, mm-hmm. so uh so you're dipper. a big dipper, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got two of or we've got three of the thirteen, that's nearly a quarter of the constellations. I think we're doing pretty good, that's not bad at all, not bad at all. Is there anything else you wanted to get to before we get into the minutia?
1: Just one little aside, which was. I think on page eight, when Hellcat and Valkyrie are flying through the sky on Aragorn and <laughs> yeah. uh, Hellcat's like super into flying around. And so <laughs> she's got those claw glove things and she's grabbing his ass and like sinking her claws in to make him fly faster. And yeah,
0: it's, it's a just... dick move. She's basically like using manual spurs. But yeah, she's she's saying, Yahoo, this is fun. Giddy up, horsey. Valkyrie's like, <laughs> Yo, is just really knock it off, fun. man.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really cool. fun
0: except that she is, you know, hurting an animal, which is not cool. But yeah, Fal tells her, uh, please refrain from clawing Aragorn's flanks, lest we find ourselves abandoned in mid-flight by an angry steed. Okay, that is the practical reason, but also don't stab my horse. Yeah. Yeah, we had enough horse stabbing going on in the last issue we covered.
1: <laughs> Poor Aragorn, man. Yeah, just it's fresh just... out of the fresh out of the hospital. You ready to get into the minutiae?
0: Sure. Okay, Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia, like Cory eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff.
1: Thanks, Rick. What would you like to start with, Corey? Why don't we start with the one that I had probably the worst time finding a good example of, and so I'm curious to to hear what you came up with.
0: Is it the pie not made out of steel? It is, yeah. Yeah, I had a difficult time with this as well. For my pie not made out of steel, that is my metaphor that I enjoyed most in the book, much like I would enjoy a pie were it not made out of steel. I decided to go with something that Hellcat said that was on page 17. It is during her fight with Scorpio and she describes herself as I may be agile as a cat, but out in the open like this, I feel more like a sitting duck.
1: Mhm.
0: So that was the one that I went with. But yeah, it was pretty slim pickings. I think in part we've been having a lot of difficulty with this in the last few issues. I think Kraft and Sliffer are maybe just less prone to metaphor use than Gerber was. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what, what did you end up coming up with? Yep so I, I had the sitting duck too, but then I also had one that wasn't really a metaphor. it's actually pretty literal, but it just kind of cracked me up and it's and that's on the beginning where um, Belinsky is telling Kyle not to spoil the parting with his childish tantrums.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that that is a literal description of the way Kyle is behaving, and I really enjoyed that. I'm I'm glad you brought that point up. I was actually thinking, do you want to switch the category pie not made out of steel, where we do have a different set of writers, still call it the pie not made out of steel, but have it just be favorite words in the issue?
1: Yeah, that might be a little, uh, give us a little... I think it might just be more interesting, because there were better
0: words in the issue than the sitting duck or the... Uh, There might not have been better words than uh, Kyle and his childish tantrum, but I I feel like it might just be a more interesting category if we expand it a little bit, uh, given that there is a different creative staff now.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds good. That'll broaden our palette.
0: Speaking of palette, color palettes, that is. How were those colors used to create an interesting fashion ensemble? Corey, sartorially speaking... What you want to talk about?
1: Well, I had two, and I think we got to talk about Scorpio. I mean, he oh, can't, yeah. can't really not talk about him. It's a good outfit, honestly. I, I like it. That's a crazy... I don't know if necklines like that exist in real clothing.
0: It, it's not a V-neck. It's more of a, like, square neck. It is pretty interesting. Yeah, it is a, a scooped down, but in a square cut neckline. To reveal that he has a Scorpio tattoo. And then he's got some weird like little yellow triangles on the forehead of his mask. And some uh, yellow like eyebrow highlights that does make it look like a scorpion on his forehead. And he has, as I mentioned before, a whip that he wears like a belt. But that can work and is kind of fashioned to look like a scorpion's tail. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I I like his, I guess it's a cowl that, like you said, has basically a yellow scorpion on it. Looks pretty tough. I don't know, though, that square neck thing. I'm thinking if the suit's made out of lycra or spandex or whatever, there's no way that's going to stay in place. So he must have to, like, glue it to his skin. Yeah, he's using
0: spirit gum on that thing. There's no way he isn't. Man, that is
1: a lot of work.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the price you pay for fashion. That is a real commitment. Corey, you don't have any outfits that you wear regularly that you have to glue into place?
1: I don't. um, Any? None. No. I I did have some spirit gum as a kid, though. But uh, I'm sure it's pretty pretty well worn out. What did you
0: use it for? Just how you wore a domino mask around? No, I was really
1: into... um, I had the ambition to be a a special effects artist in in movies. I remember.
0: you, You used to have a subscription to Fangoria, and you were a big fan of... Is it Tom Savini? Yep.
1: But uh, that passed, so. Well, uh, it's not too late. I don't know. I think I feel you like you might be uh... looking
0: for a, for a new job. Maybe, uh,
1: <laughs> you'd, maybe you'd get uh... back into the FX business. Yeah. Well, if anything, if I quit, I can use uh, Doctor Strange's speech at the beginning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you totally should. <laughs> that's now how i'm quitting every job yeah i will just <laughs> giving a Papa speech where i talk about myself in the third person and describe myself as a bulwark of strength
1: i'll just print it out and keep it in my pocket <laughs> in case it comes out <laughs> oh hold on a second guys i got something to tell you well what you should do is you should have like a glass we of dwell scotch. in an age
0: of change <laughs> You should have a glass of scotch in your head and just tap the side of it with a fork like you're making a toast at a wedding. Ah! (laughs) Plus that way you're drinking at work, which is fun. I like this plan. Uh, What other fashion did you want to comment on?
1: There actually wasn't really a lot of background characters in this, so it was a little sparse. But uh, the kid in the epilogue had a cool shirt with the thing
0: on it. He did, yeah. It had the thing's face in the middle of a red sweatshirt and it is a good look. Cool shirt. I, I would wear that sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. It did kinda remind me of like shitty Halloween costumes where it would be like just kind of a plastic smock with a picture of the character's face on it. Like when I was a kid, I had some Spider Man underoos and some Superman underoos and some Batman Underoos. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. n- not to brag, but uh That's a I had good some collection. Underoos, you did have Aquaman? Then- no, I wish. Mm. But I also had a Scooby Doo underoos, which just had a picture of Scooby Doo's face on the t shirt and the Mystery Machine on the butt. And I'm like, Scooby Doo didn't just wear a t shirt with his picture around on it. Like, what? What? What's this shit?
1: Mm. Well, I mean, otherwise it just would have been like, um... just brown underpants. Yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs>
0: Just marma- Not necessarily the best look. <laughs> just a marmaduke uh, colored. Oh man, did they make marmaduke underoos? No, no, no. It wasn't in that same category. I think if they did make marmaduke underpants, it would just be a regular pair of underpants because he thinks he's people. I saw that one coming. Corey, we were just talking about FX, but let's talk about SFX. <laughs> what sound effect did you feel was most worthy of note? Brackaboom. boom Ah, man, there were some good sound effects in this issue. We have a different letter than we often do. It is Irv Watanabe in this issue, who I like a lot. And between that and the new penciler with Keith Giffen and new writers, I don't know who's responsible for what, but we've got a different set of sound effects than we're used to, and there were some fun ones. The one that I went with was... Zraz, which is the noise it makes when you shoot Jack Norris with a ray gun.
1: I also had a zraz.
0: That one was pretty good. There's also a swap, S W O P. That was pretty nice. At one point, when Scorpio is firing his Zodiac key, it makes the noise ziz, which I thought was pretty fun. Or possibly nin, and maybe he is just a fan of the eroticist Anias Nin. Tough to tell.
1: Yeah, I, I read it as Aziz.
0: And that um, probably makes a little bit more sense. But it is possible that Scorpio is just super into Delta of Venus. It is possible. Corey, in this issue of The Defenders, as in every issue of The Defenders, there is one character who just has to be a sucker, who has to act in a way contrary to his previously established character or motivation in a way that furthers the plot. To quote the fat boys from Crush Groove, they've just got to be a sucker In this issue, who just had to be a sucker?
1: So this is a little bit of a tricky one because he's doing something that plays to character but he's also doing something that I think is different. And so I went on Dr Strange because he showed I think remarkable self-awareness in realizing he needed to shred uh, shed his entourage.
0: Oh, uh, also, I think maybe he needed to shred.
1: Like, he just like needed to spend the, more
0: time practicing his guitar.
1: Oh, yeah, you know, that can that can focus the mind. But, you know, ultimately, he's doing it so he can get his magic mojo back and, you know, become badass again because he's worried about magical impotence.
0: Oh, gotcha.
1: But he, I, I think it was remarkably aware for him to be like, I need some space.
0: Yeah, this is actually something that is happening in reaction to what is happening in Doctor Strange's solo title right now. And by right now, I mean 1977. Steve Englehart had just left the book and I think was just asked to leave the book after the whole having Benjamin Franklin fuck Steve's girlfriend thing. The book was. They they didn't like
1: that, the editor? Yeah, I think
0: the editorial was not crazy about that because. Yeah, Doctor Strange and Clea traveled in time and uh, Ben Franklin and Clea boned down uh, below deck on a ship after drinking some breakfast whiskey while Steve was protecting the ship from wizards and monsters and shit. The very next issue, we had a different writer. It was the editor, Marf Wolfman, who we know from our Teen Titan coverage. He had been the editor, but he took over as writer of the book and had the explanation that no, that didn't really happen. It was just a demon messing with Steve. And uh, Mm. Steve Englehart, who had been the writer, who we also know from early Defenders books, had been taking Stephen Strange in a direction of like introspection and cosmic trippiness, basically, where had him growing increasingly more and more powerful to the point where all of his adventures had to be on this huge cosmic scale or just quests of introspection, which may or may not have been related to Steve Englehart's interest in recreational pharmacology. But when a new writer took over the book and wanted to take it in a more conventional direction of superheroics they are like okay we need to scale down his powers so that he can have more conventional adventures and so that was what was happening with uh strange's character then but you're right uh, that level of introspection is a little bit out of character for him
1: yeah or maybe he's just still broken up about the whole ben franklin thing and
0: yeah a lot of possibilities I decided to go with my sucka as Kyle. He does a lot of things in this book that are very in character, but he does one thing that is distinctly out of character, and that is maintain his secret identity. That is not a Kyle move. Generally, when he is confronted by anyone, his fight or flight response is to just take off his mask and be like, It's me, Kyle Richmond! <laughs> And he doesn't do that when Scorpio shows up looking for Kyle Richmond and attacks. And I, kept, I was
1: confused by that. I kept yep. waiting for it. Yeah, me too. I was any. I was like, any minute now,
0: he's yep. going to do that. He's going to pull a Teen Titan. He's got to reveal his secret identity. It's what he does. And so, yeah, because he didn't do that, I was just like, well, who is this guy? Maybe it isn't Kyle Richmond anymore. I'm confused now.
1: Yeah, maybe uh, Scorpio's chart was right after all.
0: Ah, maybe it was like a life model decoy mm. and it was really Nick Fury dressed up as Nighthawk or Jack Norris switched bodies with him because they both peed in the same fountain. Wait, what? Y- you know, that thing where you guys both pee in a fountain and then you switch bodies. <laughs> no. It's a very common thing. Uh,
1: Happens to everybody from oh, time. Oh, man. I got to be careful whose fountain I pee in. Or, I think who, that's good advice for us all, Corey. Yeah. Corey, what was your favorite panel? Oh, this one was easy for me. I liked on, I think it's page four, and it's just the angry Hulk face. Uh,
0: there were some good angry Hulk faces in this issue. I like that one, too. Yeah, on page four, it's, he's pissed off at Nighthawk, right? For trying to make him choose between friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it the very bottom corner one?
1: Yeah, bottom right. Like, Where um, it's
0: just a close-up of his eyes? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and he just, it's got this kind of gnarly, like shadowing to it. It's got kind of a, like a Lon Chaney almost, like a monster. Oh, it totally, look. yeah. It's, it's like a Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera type
0: face that he's making. It's really good. I liked that one a lot too. Uh I went with different Angry Hulk faces as my favorite. There's one on page 22 where he is just surrounded by all of this complicated machinery that Scorpio has made come to life and attack him and it's just his face framed by these coils and futuristic machinery and him looking angry, and it's really, really cool looking. And then also, a few pages later, you see him breaking out of the machinery. That one's on page 30. Mm -hmm. And saying, Key will not help you, red man. Hulk will crush you anyway. Now! Now! Hulk told Red Man machines would not hold Hulk. Nothing can hold Hulk. But it's this very Kirby-esque action scene. And it really made me happy to see that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was I like the uh, machine breaking Hulk.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's really dynamic. And it really looks like it's, almost an homage to Jack Kirby's work. And I appreciated seeing that. Uh, Other than that, I also really liked the everybody saying goodbye as they file out of the Sanctum panel. It's just really nicely drawn and has a couple of close-ups in it of Val and Tanya Belinsky's faces as they are leaving, as they are filing out of the room. And it's what I've come to think of as Klaus Janssen faces. It's a very distinct way he has of drawing women's faces in close-ups, and I really like the way he does it, and it's nice to see that, especially as uh looks like we won't be seeing much of Tanya Belinsky's Klaus Janssen face for a while. So I liked that as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. On the page before that, too, I, I like where Hulk's, uh, it's not so much the panel, but he's, thinking to himself, like, mm, I'm not sure if I, I think uh, Birdman still needs to get smashed.
0: Yeah, I like that he uh, he does decide that he's not angry at him anymore, but I do like, it's like he's fucking with Kyle. He's like, magician want to be left alone? Hulk understands wanting to be left alone. But Hulk is still not sure. Maybe Birdno still deserves to be smashed. Mm-hmm. And it is a really fun panel where it does look like Oh, I think the Hulk is fucking with Kyle. That's funny. Well, Corey, every issue has a best defender and a worst offender. In this issue, who was the best defender?
1: Yeah, I went with Val. You know, she did kind of lose her sword at one point, which wasn't great. But the rest of the time, she did kick a lot of butt. And um, she didn't let Scorpio's garbage get her down. So I went with Val.
0: Yeah, she did some nice fighting. She did some nice smashing. She had a nice level head and she calmed the Hulk down. I had a couple of choices. I might end up going with Val, but I want to run some options by you and see if I can count them as a best defender. One option would be Red Guardian. She does quit the team at the beginning, so she might not be eligible, but she does also call out Kyle for his temper tantrum. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, that was good. Another option. I kind of want to go with Nick Fury. He, he's a Marvel hero, and he's in the Defenders book, and he shoots Jack Norris. Shooting Jack Norris is a pretty great thing to do. Can I go with Nick Fury as a Defender? Oh, man,
1: I don't know. That's bending
0: the rules. It is bending the rules a little bit. The other option that I had was the truck driver who ran over the elf with a gun.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's definitely
1: bending the rules.
0: He killed Elf with a gun, apparently, and I'm happy that happened, and he saved the little kid's life in the process, which makes him, in a lot of ways, a real hero, but it sounds like you're a little on the fence on those, so I'm going to go with Red Guardian, if that's okay with you.
1: Yes, that would be fine.
0: Okay, then Red Guardian is my best defender. Conversely, who was the worst offender in this issue? Who did the worst job?
1: What the hell did Kyle do to Scorpio to piss him off so bad? God damn it, Kyle. Stop we, being such a jerk to everybody. He really
0: is. I also went with Kyle. I was tempted. I, I, again, in the worst offender category, I had some borderline options where I was like, I don't think I can really count this. Kind of wanted to go with Jack Norris because he's such a piece of crap. And he does also a bad job of eluding his followers in this. But I don't know if he counts as a defender, which would make him ineligible for worst offender as well. And Kyle did a pretty bad job on a number of fronts. He had his temper tantrum. He had his cycle of anger and repentance. He did a bad job fighting Scorpio for the most part. But what put him over the top for me is that Kyle's a millionaire, probably a billionaire. I think he has to be a billionaire because we worked how much that adamantium chair he bought as an impulse buy for the hulk Mm -hmm. must have cost him Mm -hmm. he tips his paper boy five dollars a year
1: yeah fuck you kyle fuck you even in 70s money that's not that much for billionaire standards yeah he's
0: rich as fuck he could tip that kid better could give him 10 bucks a year yeah that's what i'm saying Yeah, so a big fuck you to Kyle on that one. He is, uh, looks like he's doing double duty as the worst offender. Now, Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules, but in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules?
1: Yeah, this one was pretty straightforward for me. I think he was uh, taking a page out of Lao Tzu's book where he said, basically, if somebody attacks your friends for no reason, they are your enemy. Ah, Yeah.
0: I think that's a good lesson, and and one that we would all do well to learn, much as the Hulk did in this issue. When who are you directing this at? Is it when Kyle was trying to make him choose between his friends, or when Scorpio was attacking the other
1: defenders, or both? It was it was a Scorpio related one.
0: Okay, I had a couple of possible lessons that the Hulk learned, and I think he learned a compound lesson here. The main one is what. Finally brought him around to not being upset or feeling abandoned by Dr. Strange. And Hulk arriving at the realization that some journeys need to be taken alone. And also that Kyle is an asshole and maybe deserves to be smashed. Mm. Those are the two lessons that he really takes away from this comic book. Some journeys need to be taken alone and fuck Kyle. Good lessons. Yes, and that's the Hulk's rules. Well, Corey, I am left with but one final question I must ask of you. Mm. Okay, shoot. What's wrong with this picture? Oh, man. I was afraid you'd ask. So, uh... In the greatest month and year known to man... <laughs> the year of our Lord, 1977, and the month of our Lord, April... What was Wong
1: with that picture? So, in early April, Wong was sitting around and he was feeling frustrated. He was feeling frustrated because he was surrounded by both literal and metaphorical garbage. Oh, no. Yeah. He'd had enough of Steve moping around the house trying to get his magic mojo back. And also, had forgotten to bring garbage out for a couple of days. <laughs> So he's like, oh, man, we really need to do something about this. And at the same time, as we know, he's a man of many interests and had been involved in alternative fuels. So he called his buddies down at the alternative fuel supply store and said, hey, guys, I got all this extra garbage. And they're like, oh, man, that is great news because we are actually in the process of trying to get our garbage-fueled power plant open. And sure enough, on the 4th of April, the very first garbage-fueled power plant opened with the help of Wong and his extra garbage. Ah, very nice. Well done, Wong. Well, that's
0: one thing that was Wong with this picture, but there were a few other things that were wrong with this picture. See, Steve was feeling a bit bad about himself, what with his not having quite as much power as he used to, and he wanted to feel a bit more powerful. So, movie had come out a couple of months ago called Pumping Iron, And Steve started watching that and got super into bodybuilding and was just (laughs) not leaving the house. Yes, with the other year when I punched out that desk man, you remember that, since my magical powers are less, perhaps I should improve my physical prowess. And he was just insufferable. He was doing the 1977 equivalent of CrossFit and would not shut the fuck up about it. So... Wong decided he just needed to get out of the house for a bit, so he got super into baseball, and he started following the the preseason, and then when the regular season started, Steve was like, hey, uh, Wong, where are you going? How come you're never here for me to talk to you about my CrossFit? Wong, Wong, I need to tell you about my diet. I'm upping my reps, Wong. And so Steve ended up tagging along with Wong for, to a couple of baseball games. And when he was there, he got bored and decided to start flexing his mystical mind as well as his pecs, which were still nothing to write home about. The first game they went to was a team called the uh, the Seattle Pilots. Hmm. And they were watching the game, and Steve was just like, Wong, I'm bored. I want to pretend that these people are my friends. I miss them. So he changed the name of the team to the Seattle Submariners. Oh. And Wong had to use his own mystical powers to like mitigate that and be like, Steve, you're fucking with the game. Just stop it. We'll we'll make it Mariners, okay? And Steve was like, Yes, that's fine. I can still pretend. And uh, that is why the Seattle Mariners, who debuted in April of 1977 as a American League, Major League Baseball team, are called the Seattle Mariners. Also, they went to another first game, this one in Toronto, which Steve again decided, I want to see my friends. I miss Kyle. He was nice. I could talk to him about how difficult it is to be a privileged white man in this society. And because he missed Kyle so much, he changed the name of the team and their logo to the Toronto Nighthawks, (laughs) and Wong was able to use his own powers to again modify the logo and the name a little bit, and change it to the Blue Jays, which was close enough that Steve was still able to pretend his good friend Kyle was there, but wasn't as overt, and... That was why, also in April, the Toronto Blue Jays made their Major League debut. And that is what was Wong with this picture.
1: Dang, so much influence in the sporting world. Who knew?
0: Yeah. old oh, Steve, pumping iron, changing team names. Wong, changing them way back. Good job, Wong. Good job, everybody, in that very important month of April of 1977. Well, thank you so much for joining us listeners on this very special issue of the Defenders. I forget, why was this a very special issue, Corey? Is it? it was no. Pretty good. I think it was special how regular it was. It as I said, really refreshing to have a non enormous issue to cover in which there is actually some forwarding of a plot.
1: Yeah, I liked it.
0: I liked it too. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us in all of the standard internet places you might think to look. Your Stitcher, your iTunes, your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter. We're in all of those places. Yeah, uh, you can find us wherever podcasts can be found. If you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you're using please do that. I I think that would be really nice. It would help people find the show, which I think would be a nice thing for them to do. If you would like to donate to us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland for all your giving us money needs. If you do so, you get access to a bunch of exclusive content. I posted a video review of a comic book last week, and I'm going to do a little bit more of that. And you will also get access to a monthly podcast that Lisa and I host called What the Duck, a podcast most file, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. There should be a new episode of that coming out very soon where we will cover Howard the Duck number three. So, you know, you can do that. And uh, yeah, come back all the time and listen to us every day. That's all the, day. That's a big commitment. I, I think they're up for it. Okay. We've got like... Over 200 hours of podcast at your disposal. You could listen to us straight for probably a week without even taking a break. I wonder what that would do to your brain. Find out. Don't find out. That's a bad idea. Don't do it. That's a bad bake, Mary. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah, he stopped by to say that that's a bad bake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you later. It's underproved. It's too crumbly. I like (laughs) Mark. Oh, jeez, who was that? Sting? What are you doing here, Sting? Oh, Oh, I don't think he's a good bike at all. I'm Sting, are I, then? (laughs) I'm the assassin for the House Harkonnen, aren't I, then? Oh, man. My name's Fade, but I spell it all weird because mm-hmm. I'm from another planet. It's mm-hmm. a pretty good Sting impression. Oh, I thought you were still doing Paul Hollywood. <laughs> it's a fine line. Scorpio! Scorpio!
2: They say I'm shrewd in a feud I don't quick break or bend That I can see right through your soul And out the other end They say my sign is the ruler Of physical fun But where are all these stories Coming from? It's not me Oh no Oh no, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no Can't you see? It must be Some other Scorpio Some other in the zodiac I am over abused and always under attack I'm just tender loving loyal I'm not crazed and complex why is everything they say about me sin or it's sex it's not me oh no oh no oh no 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 can't you see it must be some other Scorpio Some other So you better beware when you step on a scurvy hotel But that's not me oh no. oh no Oh no 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 Can't you see it must be some